It's the Asian Boxing Podcast. Asianboxing.info is the website. Scott and Colin are here with you, hanging out on a beautiful, beautiful Wednesday. Scott, how are you doing today? It would be beautiful over your side of the world. It's pitch black here and icy cold, so I'm doing well. Uh, wrapped up wonderfully tightly in blankets and hot water bottles. Yay for knowing how to survive through the cold. For you, it feels more like Christmas, right? It actually feels like Christmas. Over here in California, we don't get that feeling. We have no snow. It's it's horrible. We don't get that Christmas feeling. Oh, no, no, no. It's not snow. It's just icy cold and freezing. Um, but yeah, it just feels Christmassy. There's a tree up. There's lights on. There's neighbors with flashy things outside the house. It feels Christmassy, and it's icy freaking cold. Do you hang up lights uh, my partner's put some over some of the tree, um, but yeah, we're, we're minimalist this year. We have lights uh, on the outside of our house. Um, this year, we don't have a big tree. We have a small tree and, uh, you know, a lot less ornaments. So we've gone kind of minimalist as well there with the ornaments. You, sometimes you want to you wanna put a bunch of ornaments up, but uh, this year, I, I don't know. I don't have that motivation, that same motivation that I usually have. Uh, let's get to boxing, though. Let's get to boxing. We have a lot to talk about. Now, Scott, let's start last Thursday. Last Thursday, there was a huge fight, and we start on the women's side at Tsukotada versus Ayaka Miao for the WBO minimum weight title. Yeah, this was a rematch of a draw from, I believe, January or February this year, and this was expected to be uh, another very, very close, hotly contested one. In the end, we were through eight rounds, very competitive fight, and then Tada just lands possibly one of the best female KOs of all time. A shot left hand, dropped me out first first, brutal knockout, fantastic result for Tada, who I think has become a four-time world champion now. Um, yeah, she looked fantastic and looked very, very different to the woman who'd struggled against me out earlier in the year. I'm going to have to be quite honest. I'm not one to follow women's boxing as closely as you do. You usually don't see, though, these big knockouts like this one, right? Yeah, you don't see them like this. This is just one punch. A brilliant counter left hand. Very rare to see in female boxing, but what a shot it was. And at the minimum weight, too. I mean, lighter weights, usually not a lot of knockouts either. So really spectacular what Tata was able to do. Uh, what do you think is next for her? I don't know. I know that before the bout, she did speak as if uh, retirement could be close. I think she's like 38 or 39 now. Um, but on the back of this result, continue. Um, look for someone to defend the belt against. Maybe make some sort of a big Japanese fight with one of the other top uh, top girls at 105 pounds or drag up a 102 pounder. She maybe has two or three fights left maximum. For Meow, I don't see much left. Um, she's had really bad injuries a couple of years ago. She's showing her age more than Tada, to be honest. Also on this card, another minimum weight title bout, this time just for the Japanese minimum weight title. Uh, but we saw Masataka Tanaguchi against Suzuki Sasso. This was a real, um, a really, really positive performance by Tanaguchi. He dropped Sasso in the opening round. Won every round and then forced a bit of a soft stoppage in round 10. Sasso was never in the ball. He lost pretty much every minute of every round. 
he's gutsy and he was determined but completely outclassed and provided very very little in terms of a challenge for Taniguchi. Now Taniguchi about a year or so ago had a shot at the world minimum weight title against Vic Saludar. Do you think he gets another shot now that he's snagged this Japanese minimum weight title? I think that's a possibility. Um, my guess is next for him would be a rematch with Kai Ishizawa, uh, who he beat last year, and I think that's probably going to be ordered by the JBC in the new year. If not, he certainly has to have a sniff around uh, Wilfred or Mendes if Mendes wins next week in his next defense. Taniguchi, I think, needs more experience, to be honest, before he gets a second world title fight. What's good to see about Taniguchi, though, is he's challenging himself. Right, only 26, but you look at his career so far, and he's fought for a couple titles. Um, you know, the OPBF against Tsubasa Kurua, uh, and then, of course, he fought against Vic Solidar for that minimum weight title, um, a world title, and then getting in there for this Japanese minimum weight title. So he's challenging himself at, at the weight. Yeah, he's also fought Ria Kanishi and Kaishizawa. He's not had an easy career. He has suffered losses as a result, but don't write him off. He's very, very, very talented. He actually had Hiroto Kaiguchi turn pro at the same time as him. The two were meant to be sort of dragged along the same sort of pace, but Kaiguchi's a special talent. Taniguchi, not quite that good. The guy wants to test himself and uh, all the better for him. I just think Watanabe will perhaps give him another couple of bouts before putting him in another world-level bout. Now to move over to Thailand. Uh, a couple days after those fights in Japan, in Thailand, there is a, a card on Saturday. There was. It was the latest episode of WP Boxing, which I think in the past was from by Dazon. But I think their contract ended and now they're they're all wonderfully free online, thanks to YouTube and Facebook. This card featured a very talented youngster called Fong Safon Panyakum, who scored a fourth-round knockout of a Kompayek Popramuk. Popramuk has been one of the best watchers in Asian boxing for years, but now he's 39. I think this is his 11th loss. He's very much a fighter coming to the very end of his career, and is still gutsy, but is losing a lot. The uh, the performance from Fong Safon was fantastic. He broke down the aggressive, smaller man. And, yeah, flawless performance from him, pretty much. I'd like to see him take on a better opponent soon. But in fairness, Compact was a late replacement after his original opponent retired um, due to brain issues. Asian Boxing, the podcast, Scott and Colin. Uh, Scott, this week kind of packed with some good fights. Tomorrow... Daishi Nagata against Akihiro Kondo in a Japanese super lightweight title fight. Uh, this is at Korokan Hall as well. This will be Daishi Nagata's first defense of the title that he won from Koki Inoue earlier this year. He came across as really hungry today at the weigh-in, really wanting to improve it, impress. He has been unlucky in the past. He was very unlucky against Ricky Naito. He also fought uh, Takeshi Inoue on the debut, and now he's got the title. He won't want to give that up. He's finally got to the point where his career is going the way people expect it to. Akihiro Kondo, very much the veteran in this fight. He's uh, well-known for his fight with Sergei Lipinjic. 
He has, however, shown real aging himself with losses to uh, Apinung Kongsung and Andy Hirooka. So I, I think you've got to favor Nagata. I think you've got to think his younger body, his fresher body will be too good, but Kunda's never in a bad fight, in fairness. And then also on this card, the Japanese Lomachenko, Rentaro Kimura, and he's facing a guy with one of the cooler names in all of boxing. Bundeteruya. Um, this will be Kimura's third belt. I think we've spoken about him every time he's fought so far. Very, very highly regarded prospect. His debut was sensational, but unfortunately took place in front of zero fans. Um, his second belt took place in his hometown of Shizuoka. Now he's back at Corican Hall with fans in the venue, with TV cameras rolling, and with a lot of pressure on his, uh, on his shoulders. The idea, from what I understand, is that he will begin to learn English um, next year and will go to open doors in the West. He's such an amazing talent. Yeah, one of the brightest prospects in, in world boxing right now. Really exciting if he can learn English, because I think that's, like you said, how you can really become popular. Already you can see that he has the skills. Only 23, he has the skills to become you know, something spectacular. Um, but we'll see against Thunder. You know, you never know. If you're named Thunder, then you probably you probably are pretty dangerous. Yeah, probably a bit dangerous, but I believe his record's seven seven one. Um let's be fair, he's won his last three, he's won four of the last five, he's on a roll, but he is going up against arguably a future boxing demigod. I hope. I hope that uh Rentaro Kimura makes it on a big, big stage. I Honestly, really exciting fighter, and uh, I lo- I'm gonna love watching how his career unfolds. Kenata Nakagawa, uh, Ryoji Fukunaga, three super flyweight titles on the line for this one. Yeah, this is one of the rare triple crown fights with the Japanese, the OPBF, and the WBO Asia Pacific title. Um, entering the bout, Fukunaga is the WBO Asia Pacific champion. Nakagawa is the Japanese champion, and the RPBF title is vacant, which is actually different to what Botrek are currently recording, so Botrek getting it wrong again. Um, Fukunaga is a very limited but heavy-handed fighter. He beat Froyland Solidar uh, earlier this year in his best performance. He can be outboxed, he can be outmoved, but he's he's got all red hands. Nakagawa is the more polished fighter. He's a two-time Japanese champion. He's got wins of likes of Hayato Kimura, uh, Takeyuki Okamoto, Risuke Nasu. I say he's probably more polished, but with the power Fukunaga has, this is this is bound to be fireworks. And then also on this card, we see Hiroki Okada back in action. Okada is back in action for his first bout in Japan, I believe, about 18 months. He's fighting Izuki Tomioka, who is not a name I imagine many people are familiar with. But he has given Shuishiro Yoshina, the uh, lightweight hopeful, uh, his toughest test. And he also gave Masayushi Nakatani an incredibly tough bout a few years ago um, when he pushed Nakatani very close for 11 rounds and then got stopped very late in round 11. He's very tricky, very fast, lacks power, but maybe getting a card at the right time. You know, Okada is a warrior, and I love watching him fight, but sometimes he gets defensively irresponsible. 
He gets caught with a couple too many shots, and that's what we've seen, at least when he's tried to come up to the world level, he struggled slightly. Uh, you mentioned Tomioka fighting Nakatani earlier in his career, and Scott, I completely blew over it because we jumped all the way to Okada, um, which that fight's going to go on next Monday. But a fight on this weekend, Nakatani back in action. We thought he was retired. We thought after the Teofimo Lopez fight, he was never coming back. That's not the case. He's fighting this Saturday. He's a liar. Um, yeah, he retired last year. Uh, tied, not retired quite publicly uh, through social media. Said I didn't think that I was going to continue after my first loss, and now I'm retiring. Seventeen months later, he's back and he's heading back up to the US to face Vadejo in a really, really, really interesting ten rounder. Um, this is his first fight since losing to Lopez, so he has been out the ring for well over a year. I do wonder if perhaps top rank have offered him a very, very, very pretty penny uh, to try and make their new style look good and to give Vadejo the rub. Um, but Vadejo, he's not been as impressive as I think many anticipated when he turned pro. And Nakatani has similar dimensions to Antonio Lozada, who did stop Vadejo a couple of years ago. If Nakatani is in the mood, he could definitely get the upset here. If he's back for a payday, yeah, he could look really bad if he's just back for the payday. Well, it's funny. Nakatani now has become someone who, at least here in America, people look at and say, well, he was tough. Because you can make the argument that he gave Teofimo Lopez the toughest challenge of his young career. And now Lopez is the undisputed lightweight champion of the world. So automatically, it kind of validates Nakatani saying, yeah, he could at least compete at the world level. Yeah. Yeah, if it's just the name value, then yeah, Nakatani definitely has that. You do wonder whether or not he's really up for it. Um, if he is, then yeah, this is going to be a really good fight. He spoke when he lost to Lopez about the things he learned when he's in the US, about how he um, would return there and gave advice to other Japanese fighters, so I think he's mentally going to be a better place than he was, but I'm not sure how he's going to be given the retirement. I think sometimes when you like step out, you kind of lose the edge, and we'll see if he gets that edge back. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, Scott and Colin, asianboxing.info. So there you go, Scott. If you love boxing, you're going to love this weekend. Now, Scott... We have some news. We actually have a lot of news. But before we get to that news, I'm going to let you rant because this is something that's been on your mind, been on your heart, and you have to get it off your chest. So it's about Eddie Hearn. I'm going to let you take the center stage and talk about good old Eddie Hearn. Good old Eddie Hearn, supposedly the world's greatest promoter, the man of the moment, the promoter who can do it all, who can conquer the world, who has... Sky TV and Dazone of the Power's Hand really isn't doing a very good job, is he? He um, struggled to get Majidov a worthwhile opponent recently. He struggled to get Zhang, a 37-year-old heavyweight, an opponent of any value. And now he's unable to get Yunmi Choi an opponent uh, for a world title fight in eight days' time. Not only that there, but 
one of the fighters he's made the offer to has now called them out and said, yeah, it wasn't enough. And it's rare we see fighters actually do that. And for a man who is supposedly the best promoter, why can he not secure opponents with a timely fashion? Why did he allow his Asian fighters particularly to be absolutely messed about? Maybe more importantly, where is 200 free tickets for the NHS staff that he promised for the uh, Anthony Joshua fight? Very short rant, but yeah, uh, Eddie Hearn, what the hell's he doing? Um, I can't help but think he perhaps got a bit too big-headed with himself and has completely lost the plot this year. So, Eddie, promote these Asian boxers because you have some in your stable, but it seems like he's not doing the best job at doing that. If you're going to sign them, sign them with an intention, back them, give them fights. Get opponents signed up in time to actually get them quality fights. Stop messing about with them. Um, actually, in fairness, it's not just the Asian fighters. He did the same with Laurent Richards here over the weekend and got him the most negative opponent he could possibly have got. He needs to realize that people are tuning in and they're spending money and time watching his shows. I need to want absolute turgid garbage. But, I mean, he has Anthony Joshua, so it's going to be okay, Scott. Yeah, let's hope that pull up wins. He doesn't have that anymore. <laughs> okay, now that we've gone through that rant, I'm going to start with my rant about Brian Kenny and his atrocious. Okay, that's not Asian boxing. I'm sorry, but Brian Kenny, that was it. Was bad. It was bad, Brian. Anyone who saw the Errol Spence fight, tell me that wasn't horrible. Anyway, all right, let's let's get back on track. Uh, news to get to Scott for a, a lot of things. First, let's start with Ken Shiro, and we have a little correction to make. Ken Shiro, we talked about him last week, and we, you all know we love Ken Shiro. He's one of our favorite fighters here on the show, but Ken got himself into a little bit of trouble. The story has been revised slightly. Scott, what has changed with the Ken Shiro story? Ken Shiro's not a drunk driver. He's just a drunk, and we've all been there. Originally, when the story was translated, it was that he'd crashed his car drunkenly into another car. Instead, it's that he damaged a car when he was drunk. It looks like he um, was a bit joyous and either fell into or uh, physically attacked a car, maybe. But yeah, there isn't a drunk driving charge against him. It's just drunken behavior. Slightly better. You know, still still something that you need to work on as a person, but definitely slightly better because you, you never want to get into a car drunk and so he didn't do that he did however damage someone's property so that that was not good ken but uh we still love you you still are one of the favorite fighters here on the show and we uh want to see you back in action as soon as possible jbc please maybe be a little lenient with your ruling here against ken he made one mistake just bend over your knee and give him the spanking and let him fight next year don't Suspend his license or anything like that, please. Ken Shiro correction. We're, we're good on that. I know that we want to get the facts out correctly, and we, we've done that here. Um, Filipino standout, amateur standout, making his debut. Yeah, Umiya Masia, one of the most highly regarded Filipinos in a generation. He is one of the very few Filipinos who um, has actually given Filipino boxing a real boost in the amateurs. He's regarded as one of the potential medal favorites um, next year at the Tokyo Olympics. And he will make his debut on December 16th um, against a guy with a win record. It's perhaps not the toughest bout ever, but it's against Andrew Whitfield, 
I believe is three and one two. It'll be a four rounder at middleweight. Uh, Matthias promoted by Manny Pacquiao. He's heading back to the Olympics or back to the amateurs next year. Yeah, I'm really excited to see his debut. I want to see if he's as good in the pros as he was as an amateur. You never know exactly how that's going to turn out, that transition. But recently, with all of the great amateurs that we've seen really succeed at the pro level, it it looks like it's going to turn out well for him. Because I mean, you look at the top pound-for-pound pound list right now, all those guys, super successful as amateurs. Yeah, and when you also consider he's got Sean Gibbons and Manny Pacquiao guiding him, he's got a really good team uh, helping him. And yeah, I don't really see him being a failure, but it'd be great to see how he looks on debut. Another Filipino fighter that we all love, we all know, the legend, the flash, Nonito Donaire. Unfortunately, he has to back out of his fight against Emmanuel Rodriguez. And this was a fight that was supposed to be against Nordino Bali, and Obali had to back out as well. Yeah, it's a weird situation whereby Donaire has now got contracted COVID-19 himself. I mean, he's out of the fight with Emmanuel Rodriguez, uh, a fight that Rodriguez got because Ubali had COVID. It's the it's a long line of really, really weird setbacks for Rodriguez. He was meant to fight uh, Rashi Warren last year, and that got cancelled, and he was meant to fight Louis Neri, and Neri missed weight. He now gets this opportunity only for Denaire to test positive. The rumour is that Rodriguez may face Remak Balo on the same show for the WBC title. Gabala was supposed to face Jose Velazquez for the WBA interim title. So he was on the card anyway. They may end up doing that um, for the the WBC title, which is a massive upgrade for Gabala if it can be done. We wish uh, Dene full recovery and as soon as he can. So they still have the title on the line, even though both Donaire and Obali are out. <laughs> Potentially. It's yet to be confirmed whether or not um, Gabalo will face Rodriguez. But yeah, that doesn't happen. The title will remain vacant. A very weird situation. Really, really interesting situation there with with both guys getting COVID. Again, we, we wish that both of them are able to get back up on that horse. And obviously, it's this pandemic is hurting a lot of people around the world. But we wish the best for both of them. Um, but yeah, that'll be interesting to see what they do exactly with that belt. And for Inoue, too, I know he was talking about wanting to face the winner of that. Well, now it looks like that won't happen for a while. Yeah, it kind of leaves the division a really weird place where they've got a WBC champion on reset, a vacant title. They couldn't up with three WBA titles, um, the super champion uh, anywhere, the regular champion, Rigondeau and potentially a interim champion between Gabalo and Velazquez, or you could see yeah, so many permutations of what's going to be said in the next two or three days. We've got to remember this bout's meant to take place in like 10 days' time as well, so this could end up being very outdated by the time it goes live. The Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin, another familiar face back in the ring, Daigo Higa and... He gets to be on the undercard of Aoka Tanaka. So one of the biggest shows of the year, Higa's back. Higa is back in a WBO Asia Pacific bantamweight title bout against the wonderfully named 
Yuki Strong Corbiati. Um, on paper, it might not look like a particularly good bout, but on paper, it should be uh, in the ring, sorry. It should be a lot better than it looks. Kobayashi's no pushover. He gave Kita Kurihara an absolute war about two and a half, two years ago, maybe three years ago now. Um, Kobayashi was down four times, I believe, and only just only just lost the decision. He's a very talented guy. He was very hungry. This is his big opportunity. And this is a big chance for him to actually shine on TV in Tokyo because the bout will be shown in the Kanto region of Japan. And if he wins, he'll then, you know, have a win over Higa, for crying out loud. Um, I mean, a fantastic position going into the new year. For Higa, uh, the bounce, pretty much a chance to bounce back from the disappointment of the draw with Seiya Satsumi. Style-wise, this should be easy for him, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to get a win here. Kobe actually over 12 rounds is a nightmare. Really looking forward to this card, though. I mean, already having Ioka and Tanaka honestly would have been enough. Like, I I didn't need anyone else fighting. I could have just watched those two on New Year's Eve. But to add a guy like Higa on there, I'm all in, Scott. It's the adventure of Higa and Ioka being stalemates at the Ambition Gym, isn't <laughs> Bring them all together. Uh, and finally, Scott, we have some sad news, but also, you know, we want to celebrate the life of Royal Kobayashi, who passed away recently, and that was just announced. Yeah, so it's revealed this week that Royal Kobayashi, the former world champion, um, former Olympian, former amateur standout, former OPBF champion, um, passed away in mid-November, aged 71 after a battle with esophageal cancer. Um, he faced a genuine who's who of legends, including Alexis Arguello, Eusebio Pedroza, Wilfredo Gomez. Um, he was known as the KO Maker. He did a lot of firsts. He was the first Japanese world champion to have fought the Olympics. He was the first Japanese world champion to have um, graduated university. And he also holds the record for the shortest world title reign of a Japanese fighter with 46 days. But very, very popular figure among Japanese boxing fans. Very exciting fighter back in his day, and it's sad to put his death this week. Yeah, what a career, right? To compete in the 1972 Olympics and then win a lineal championship. What a career for Royal Kobayashi, and one of the legends in Japanese boxing. He's one of those guys who really paved the way, and of course there was guys before him, but he continued paving the way for, for Asian boxing, for Japanese boxers, so... Yeah, we remember his life, and um, obviously it's sad, but you also want to celebrate uh, his career and his life. A genuine legend of the ring, and following his career, he did go on to become a trainer, and I think you'll I think you'll probably see a lot of fighters over the next couple of weeks paying homage to him uh, when they fight. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It has been the Asian Boxing Podcast with Scott and Colin. Remember... If you love Asian boxing, go to the website asianboxing.info. All the news, all of the videos you could want, uh, this podcast, it's all there at asianboxing.info. Hopefully you have a great week. You're able to watch a lot of boxing. And uh, again, we will talk to you next week.